G'day everyone, I'm your mate Nate. Strap yourself in for your weekly dose of money, politics and truth. Together, we look at high-impact stories that you may have heard of, but have never truly been told. From historic Kerry Packer tales to longer deep dives into the true origins of the welcome to country phenomenon. I'm your mate Nate, and get ready to rethink the way you look at the world around you. In today's episode, we dive into Strike Force Raptor, one of Australia's most elite police units. They've been foisted into the public eye recently with the release of a new Netflix doco on the Rap Route 1-4. In the episode, we get to the bottom of why they're going after Sydney rappers and figure out whether it's legit or a gross overreach of power. Strikeforce Raptor wasn't at first set up to go after Western Sydney rappers. It was created for very different reasons. We've got to go back to 2009. As passengers were printing off their Jetstar tickets in the Sydney domestic airport terminal, a huge brawl broke out. About 10 blokes were involved, fists, head stomps, the whole shebang. One of them was beaten to death, bashed repeatedly on the head with a metal bollard. But they weren't just groups of eshes that gave each other the wrong look. They were members of warring bikey clubs, the Hells Angels and Comancheros. The Premier of New South Wales at the time, Nathan Reese, was sickened by the attack and instantly got on the blower to the Police Commissioner, Andrew Scipioni, to discuss passing tough new anti-bikey legislation. By this point, you might remember, bikies in New South Wales were getting out of control. The airport brawl came hours after several Bandito members shot up six homes in Auburn which was believed to be linked to a separate feud with another bikey club. And the media frenzy picked up too. Mark Ferguson and Peter Overton were on the beat every single night, studying bullet casings and getting the inside scoop from panicked neighbours. As Aussies, we love a bit of Carl Williams and Johnny Ibrahim, but for some reason, tatted up bikies with roid rage running amok across New South Wales didn't really seem as glamorous. The bikies were sowing chaos and mayhem. The brazen airport punch-on was the final straw. The cops needed to get tough. So they did. Strike Force Raptor was the answer. So what is it that sets Raptor apart from normal police units? Unlike normal cops, Raptor boasts a sophisticated set of strategies and tactics. Think of them as a group of hardened cops, armed with a blend of strategic intelligence and operational ferocity. Raptor doesn't merely charge into the fray. Their modus operandi is multifaceted. They integrate a combination of community engagement, undercover operations, and heightened visibility, which creates a reputation of being present, potent, and preventative. They sometimes create a suffocating presence, like a mauling squad of velociraptors to rip shreds in the confidence of their targets. For instance, they even action traffic stops to mourners on their way to the Comanchero boss Mick Howie's funeral, just to let them know who's boss and that raptor's always watching. And guess what? They're totally unapologetic about it as well. In the words of one superintendent, we'll be kicking down doors, we'll be tipping people over, we'll be talking to them, we'll be harassing them within the bounds of the law to make sure they know we are there. And there's a couple of special tools in the Raptor arsenal that's made them so effective. One is the Firearm Prohibition Order, which basically allows Raptor officers to raid a home or business if they suspect a target has a weapon. So when Spenny's rapping about letting it rain with a grip on his pumpy, it's prime material for Raptor to take to the judge to get a warrant to raid his home. Another key weapon is the Serious Crime Prevention Order. This allows Raptor to prevent certain individuals from associating with each other 
traveling in a vehicle between 9 p.m. to 6 a.m., or possessing more than one mobile phone. Violating an order carries a max sentence of five years in prison. And then there's Section 75, the Liquor Licensing Act. Raptor can slap a venue with a Section 75, which means they get reported to Liquor and Gaming, who then impose conditions on the upcoming event, which can include additional security, but at the venue's expense. This can increase the price for security for an event by thousands of dollars, making it unprofitable for the venue to carry the show. The cops say they apply Section 75 to mitigate the risk of alcohol-related violence, but it also has the effect of financially phasing out drill rappers from performing. All these crazy measures have been used against 1-4. Critics have argued that their methods often straddle a thin line between law enforcement and civil liberties. So have they gone too far in their pursuit of crime prevention? Well, they have at least on one occasion, according to the New South Wales Law Enforcement Conduct Commission. The LECC is basically the state's main body dealing with allegations of serious misconduct by New South Wales police. And they found that two officers from Strike Force Raptor harassed and intimidated a New South Wales solicitor and were explicitly told to do so by their commander. The report wrote, two officers gave evidence stating that they'd been given instructions by their supervisor to target the solicitor on his way to court, and they carried out these instructions by inconveniencing the solicitor with minor traffic offences to impede his progress to court. The supervisor gave evidence stating that he gave these instructions to the two officers. The report went on to note, the harassment of civilian one and his friend civilian two and the impertinent lack of respect shown was a natural consequence of that sense of entitlement within Strike Force Raptor, resulting in the direction by Officer 5, who is in charge of this operation. Okay, so this isn't groundbreaking stuff. We all know lots of cops have a sense of entitlement because they have the authority to exercise the law, and we all have to follow. And believe you me, We've all got that mate who bangs on about how hard done by he was by the cops, even though he got stung completely legitimately for taking a piss in the middle of a roundabout like a filthy animal. But is this sense of entitlement from Raptor on another level? Are they just wanting to knock 1-4 off the perch of Sydney's realist? Well, this bloke definitely does Raptor no PR favours. His name's Andrew Murphy aka Raptor 13. He's been described by some as a no-nonsense cop and he's gone viral for waving a metal pole near a man's head, staunching 20 bikies and delivering monster sprays to frightened drivers. And it was one of these Barneys that got Raptor 13 booted from the squad in 2020 and put into an administrative role. Footage from his own body cam showed him abusing two women after pulling them over for a traffic stop. Murphy called the driver the most stupidest person I've ever met and told her, don't argue with me, love, or you'll be going in the back of the paddy wagon as an accessory to bloody murder. Someone started a public petition to get him sacked, and it got over 37,000 signatures, which led the New South Wales police to take him off the streets and chuck him in the office. Raptor 1-3 never got the chance to battle with Rappers 1-4. It could have been a fire collab, but the old dog still busted a few bikies in his time. And this leads me to my next question. The kind of blokes that Raptor typically go after are pretty fierce, the creme de la creme of crims. So should they even be on the case of Western Sydney's budding rap stars? Let's take a look at what kind of company Raptor keeps 1-4 in. 
In August this year, Raptor led Operation Morpheus, a nationwide blitz that resulted in 159 arrests from the Comancheros, Hells Angels and other groups. Raptor swooped on over 70 properties seizing illegal drugs, weapons and even explosive devices. 43 firearms were detained including shoddies and snipers and sophisticated grow houses and drug labs with hydraulic presses were discovered. That's where your blue Ferraris are coming from kids. In another raid a month later, Raptor seized 80 guns and tens of thousands of rounds of ammo. These hefty stashes are often linked to bikies and are products of complex international drug running syndicates. One man that the cops say is at the forefront of these operations is the Comanchero boss Mark Buttle. Buttle was recently caught by the AFP in Turkey and extradited to Australia to face charges on drug importation. In 2021, Australia's top criminal intelligence agency said Buttle and eight other major Aussie bikies created a cartel that earned around 1.5 billion bucks a year by smuggling drugs past our nation's borders with the help of corrupt government officials and border insiders. Three bikie bosses, Hakan Ayik, Buttle, and Angelo Pandelli were accused of conducting a $1 billion methamphetamine shipment into Western Australia in 2017 and a January 2020 importation into Melbourne. One billion bucks of meth, Jesus. So these are the kind of blokes Raptor goes after. International drug syndicates, extortions, hitmen, targeted assassinations, insider dealings with corrupt government officials. Are these the kind of guys one for are? Does the fact that Raptor goes after these hardcore bikies maybe influence the way they target one for and other rap groups? I reckon most of this Raptor one for feud boils down to one thing. Who are the one for members? and what sort of risks do they pose moving forward? At the minute, the cops are restricting them because they see them as violent gangbangers, no-hopers who are resigned to create problems in society. Just because they spit some fire bars doesn't mean they're exempt from the law, the cops say, and the downside outweighs the potential upside, so they need to be constrained. But 1-4 members have claimed they're more than that. When YP was released from prison, he told Spanion that he wants to take music seriously, and get away from the criminal life. In the Netflix doco, many members said they're done with the streets and want to give music a real red-hot crack. To me, the 1-4 boys don't seem like sadistic criminals who are lost causes. They seem like young guys from a rough area who've taken the wrong path and are now trying to take a better path. They're local lads that wanted better themselves. They're not career criminals with an insatiable desire to skirt the law and make millions. But look, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the cops are right and 1-4 needs to be suppressed for the greater good to ensure public safety. But how can we even know if they pose a risk to public safety if they haven't even been given the chance to prove otherwise? What if Raptor let 1-4 run their shows like Cursor? or any other rapper in Sydney has been allowed without imposing heavy security costs. If violence breaks out and ops start getting shanked and shivved, then fine, these shows pose a safety hazard and maybe Raptor is right in preventing them. If you look at other rap concerts across Sydney, there's plenty of Eshays hollering the pigs. But all in all, things run pretty smoothly. Now look, they're not Nate's cup of tea, but each to their own. One four should at least be given the chance to prove their shows can be safe. 
It's a win-win situation. One floor gets to perform, and if shit hits a fan, the cops have clear evidence to justify their tactics. It may be the only option, because crushing the aspirations of up-and-coming music stars might only breed more resentment in Western Sydney toward the police and lead to bigger problems. In some ways, 1-4 and the Raptor squad are different sides of the same coin. Just like how Raptor teeters on the edge of legality in its tactics, so do 1-4 in their lyrics. If Raptor can play ball, 1-4 should at least be given a chance to prove they can too. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're a new listener, we've got episodes coming out every Tuesday and Thursday morning. Can't wait to catch you in the next one, guys.